What is going on guys? Today I have an exciting and slightly confusing story about how researching ponds, you know, like a mini lake, led me to discovering something new about insulin on board, insulin stacking, and pre-bolusing. Let's get into our theme song. I've spent the last 10 years pushing the limits while identifying trends and patterns in my type 1 diabetes management. Follow along as I learn, apply, and share the fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle strategies that I've learned from diabetes experts around the world. The real question is, how can we live fearlessly with diabetes while maintaining stable blood sugars? This podcast is here to give you the answer. My name is Matt Vandevecht, head coach and co-founder of FTF Warrior, and welcome to Part of My Pancreas. All right, guys, so for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you are aware, or you might be aware, that I did an acting job last week up in Oregon. I flew up there, flight was fine, travel went great, but in Oregon, I was essentially uh, an acting host for a pond company. Now going into it, I was like, ponds are all right, they're cool, I guess, but after the weekend, I was obsessed. I was like, ponds are the coolest thing ever. I wanna build a pond in our backyard. So coming back from that trip, I also, you may have noticed, known that I had a, a bit of a high blood sugar. Uh, it was very frustrating, hit 274, some stuff went on, I had an occlusion, and I must have missed bolus, and I talked about insulin stacking, and I went over how to safely approach that situation, because so obviously you don't want to throw endless amounts of insulin at yourself, and ultimately brought my blood sugar back down through a series of strategies, different tactics that I used. Now, coming back from that trip, I became obsessed with ponds, okay? My wife made fun of me. When I pick something, I commit to it. When I decide I'm going for something, I will build the best pond that exists. <laughs> I go 110%. Now, this also applies to blood sugars, and I'll get there in a second, but with pond research, I, I learned that within a pond, if you can do it correctly, you essentially create an ecosystem, a self-sustaining ecosystem, where the plants, the aquatic plants, take care of the fish, and the fish take care of the plants. If you have too many plants, it gets unbalanced. If you have too many fish, it gets unbalanced. There's allergy that can come into play. There's different uh, nutrient deficiencies or surplus, and you have to worry about that. So the key to creating a self-sustaining pond is finding that balance, right? Just enough plants, just enough fish. If you want to have other types of water lilies or lotuses or frogs or whatever it is, you have to find the right balance. Now, looking into this whole project, I was stoked. I was ready to, I literally, I'm looking at cinder blocks in my backyard right now. <laughs> I was midway through building an actual pond. It was gonna be 1,400 gallons. It was a large, well, it technically classified as a small pond, but a large project. Until halfway through, I realized that our lease said you cannot have anything larger than 10 gallons. So unfortunately, I had to put uh, the pause button on that project, but it brought me to an interesting distinction with diabetes care. So within the pond world, I talked about the self-sustaining ecosystem, finding balance. You can't have too many plants, too many fish. You gotta find the balance between the two. Within type one diabetes, we're essentially balancing two different things, right? We're balancing insulin and sugar, basically. I, well, this is really simplified, of course, but it boils down to those two things. And when we take insulin, we are essentially guiding the glucose that we consume, like carbohydrates, into tissue, 
So when we eat, the insulin helps the insulin, I mean, sorry, when we eat, the insulin we take helps the glucose travel into muscle tissue, into your liver for storage later, to fat tissue. And this is how we survive, right? We take insulin manually. Now, the thing here is, last week we talked about the difference between bolus, basal, and correction shots. This week, I want to go specifically into bolus, okay? This is your mealtime shot. This could also be a correction piece of insulin. Now, when we take insulin, does it get absorbed instantly? Now, when we take insulin, how long does it last for? Quite a while, right? Now, depending on the type of insulin, I'm not going to go into that, uh, but it's fast acting, right? We, we call it fast acting, but it lasts for up to four to five hours in most cases. And what I want to go over real quick before we dive into this is a new concept that I came across when I was doing some research a while back for my, uh, my program clients, right? I have my diabetes in action clients. I do like little mini webinars for them, and this was a really interesting concept that I came across. And they go over kinetic insulin properties versus dynamic insulin properties. Now, we all, most of us understand that there is a point at which the insulin starts to work, right? We've been told that the peak of insulin is between 45 minutes and an hour and a half, starts to bring it down, and your blood sugar should be back in range by about two hours-ish, right? That's not all one thing. That's actually a split between kinetic and dynamic. So real quick overview. Kinetic insulin, the properties behind it is that that is when there is a measurable amount of insulin in your system. Now that's around 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, the dynamic properties of insulin, that refers to the overall time that the insulin is effectively lowering your blood sugars. That peak is by two hours and then it tapers off and by four or five hours it's gone, right? So what we're looking at is kinetic insulin's properties where you see that around 45 minutes, there's a measurable difference of insulin in your bloodstream circulating through your body. And then by two hours, it should have hit its peak and now it's starting to taper off. So what that means for you is that when you take a corrective insulin dose or a mealtime bolus shot, that you likely see the insulin start to work around 45 minutes and typically it begins to taper off and it's had most of its effect by two hours. So that's combining the kinetics and the dynamics, okay? Now that's, that's deep and we're not gonna go any deeper than that because, well, my battery's not gonna last that long for this. <laughs> but with that knowledge, I want you to understand a concept called insulin on board. Now this is also known as bolus on board. It's also known as active insulin, but the, the core concept behind insulin on board is, this is how much insulin is currently circulating in your system and could still have an impact on lowering your blood sugars, okay? So what that looks like is if I take one unit of insulin and an hour and a half later, is it gone? Is it at zero? No, there's still probably a half unit still circulating, which means there's still the likelihood of me dropping further than where I'm currently at, depending of course on the meal time and what did you eat and all these different factors. But the point is insulin had a lifespan of four to five hours. So with insulin on board, we talk about insulin stacking, which is what I did last week, not advised, you gotta be careful with it. Here's why, if you take a shot, let's say you're at 200, you take, I don't know, let's just pretend that you have, uh, you need one unit of insulin. You take one unit at 200, and then 30 minutes later, you're still at 200. Oh no, it didn't work, I should take more insulin, right? Wrong, it's only been 30 minutes. The kinetic dynamic, or the kinetic properties and dynamic properties have not kicked in and you will not have seen the full potential of that insulin hitting you yet. So what we do is we wait it out. I know it sucks, you have to be patient in order for this to work, but if you're 30 minutes in, that insulin hasn't been given its proper chance 
to fully work, to bring your blood sugars down, to carry the glucose into the muscle tissue, into the liver. As a result, if you give insulin again at 30 minutes, that's called insulin stacking. That's where things can get dangerous real quick. If you like, it's not working, give another two units. Maybe I need a bunch of insulin. Another 30 minutes. It's only at 190. Another unit. Now you've got four units that you've taken when you didn't wait for the insulin to hit you, right? It's still circulating in your bloodstream. Now it's picking up speed. You've given multiple doses. All of a sudden you're gonna come barreling down and that's where things get dangerous. If you don't take insulin on board into consideration, you might end up in a pretty dangerous spot. Now, remember, this is why I'm wearing my t-shirt again. Not a doctor. I just simplify blood sugars, okay? Seek medical advice, especially with insulin on board. Your specific everything, <laughs> but let's just say your body is going to process things at a different rate, circulate at a different rate. If you're sedentary versus active, there's a lot of different factors going into this, but be aware of insulin on board, okay? Especially when giving corrections. This is known as insulin stacking. It can get very dangerous. This is also known as the rage bolus, where you get mad and you just give a bunch of insulin because it's not working. But what it could be doing is working behind the scenes. You gotta be careful with that. Now, I wanna get into our pre-bolus as well. So that's with correction shots specifically, okay? Corrections, if you give one, it doesn't seem to be working right away. So you give another one, you just stacked insulin. Now you're at risk of going low. Now, a lot of pumps and smart insulin pen technology now shows you how much insulin you have on board, which is very helpful. So it lets you know, uh, if you're gonna eat a meal, for example, what you should be aware of. So if you still have a unit of insulin on board, it'll say, hey, you might go low because you still have insulin circulating. Be cautious, right? So within the realm of pre-bolusing, and this, this all ties back to that pond example, right? If you have too many plants, then the fish don't get to live their best life. If you have too many fish, they're gonna overtake the, the, the plants. If you have too much insulin, you're gonna have to build that up with more glucose. If you have too much glucose, you take more insulin. If you take more insulin, you need more glucose. And it's just this cascading effect of it's all building up and it just leads to a huge roller coaster. And in the pond's case, now you've got two little plants, so you get more plants, and then there's not enough fish. You get more fish, not enough plants, you get more plants, and then before you know it, the whole thing's overflowing and it's a nightmare. We don't want that to happen with your diabetes. So, we need to be aware of insulin on board. Now, this of course is, is building upon the foundation of the last couple of weeks. You need to have proper basal and bolus rates. You need to have that figured out, okay? And if you need help figuring out and fine-tuning your insulin needs, definitely go watch my free training over at diabetesinaction.com. That will clear up a lot of your questions, I'm positive. But with the pre-bolus, if you have existing insulin on board, be aware, right? If I go for a full pre-bolus, meaning taking my insulin early, and I already have a couple units of insulin on board, those extra units might drop me while I'm pre-bolusing, and because of the pre-bolus, I might go low. That's not fun, right? So be aware of insulin on board, be aware of insulin stacking, especially when pre-bolusing for a meal. Okay, so those are the two things I wanted to cover real quick. But this third one, this one is almost a mystery piece of the puzzle. A lot of people forget about this one. And uh, it sneaks up on you, I'll tell you that. Activity, exercise, workouts, chores around the house. These things can heavily impact the circulation of insulin on board or of active insulin. And while this is an oversimplification of this process, I like to tell my clients it's essentially activating your insulin, right? It's circling, it's doing its job, and then all of a sudden you get up and go for a run. Boom! Your heart rate increases blood flow. All of a sudden that insulin is circulating a lot faster than it was when you were sitting on the couch. 
all of a sudden, a lot of that insulin's gonna hit you all at once in addition to exercise assisting glucose into muscle tissue, which means what? You're going to drop pretty fast, right? I wanna say insanely fast, but this is gonna vary based on your situation that you're in, right? Uh, if you have a lot of insulin on board and you go to the gym, you're gonna have a bad time. Just gonna warn you ahead of time with that one. Uh, the only time that it's beneficial to have insulin on board going to the gym is that if you've already recognized your patterns, you already understand, let's say weightlifting, for a lot of people, it might raise blood sugars. So if you know with full confidence going into a workout that your blood sugar is going to spike, right? Maybe it's adrenaline, cortisol, your blood sugar might rise, a liver dump, there's a lot of different reasons. If you know with full certainty that your blood sugars are going to rise, then it can be beneficial to enter a workout with insulin on board because you proactively made a decision to give insulin to avoid that high, okay? But in most cases, chores around the house, going for a walk, going for a run, even a workout, hit class, circuit, body pump, whatever you wanna call it, these things typically increase heart rate and will assist in dropping blood sugars, which means it's great for getting rid of a stubborn high, but if you're already at a good blood sugar, let's say you're at 150, right? And you're like, cool, I'm high enough where I feel good about this workout. I feel like I can enter it and not worry about dropping too fast. Well, you might have forgotten to check your insulin on board. Oh, turns out you got four units on board. Oh no, based on your correction factor, that might drop you all the way down to the 30s, 40s, 50s. That's not fun. So be aware of your insulin on board. The issue here is that a lot of times people take their insulin, eat their meal, forget about insulin on board, and then go about their daily lives without taking into consideration the effects that insulin on board might have. Okay, and I know that we're diving a little deeper than I had anticipated. I love teaching on this stuff. Uh, in fact, on, on this specific topic, we did a full hour training in my, my program, in Diabetes in Action, and I just went off. It was fun. But I know that on our podcast and on these videos, it's a little bit different dynamic, right? You can't ask questions for clarification. So I wanted to cover these topics, help you understand, A, insulin on board, depending on the type of fast-acting insulin you're taking, right? You've got... Uh, fast acting, ultra fast acting, inhalable, they're all slightly different rates of absorption and the tail end of the insulin effect is also going to be affected. But for a general rule of thumb, we're gonna talk about Humalog, okay? I take Humalog, the average lifespan of that insulin is four to five hours. Now some would argue it lasts up to eight hours, but it's minuscule beyond the five hour mark. When you understand that insulin stays in your system and circulates, for four to five hours, it can impact your decisions quite a bit. So uh, if you want insulin to circulate, go for a walk. It's gonna help in most cases. Uh, if you do not want to drop further and you have lots of insulin on board, you might wanna take a snack with you. Now I always say take sugar with you everywhere you go. It's important. You gotta make sure you have enough sugar to treat a low just in case it happens. But understand that insulin on board can and will affect blood sugars if given the opportunity. And if you're gonna pre-bolus, if you're gonna give another correction and you've already given one, if you're gonna go for a walk or include any kind of activity, you gotta remember to check or at least assume there is insulin on board if you've given a shot within three to five hours. So my personal rule for exercise, for example, is if I ate breakfast at eight, I'm gonna wait until at least 10 o'clock to go work out, right? I give it a two hour buffer, that way most of the insulin on board has been circulated and used to carry glucose into the tissues, 
and it's not just sitting there waiting to drop me, right? So take that into consideration, understand insulin on board like a, like a pond, right? We got to balance it and we don't want to just keep stacking on more glucose, more insulin, more glucose, more insulin. We want to find that balance at the lowest threshold so we can just balance our lives, live our lives to the fullest, try to predict where we're going to go, right? If I understand that the existing insulin on board could drop me and I have sugar with me on that walk, it's not a surprise anymore. Now I can enjoy the walk with my family, maybe pop a glucose tab or two and move on instead of it catching me by surprise and forcing me to run back to the house and get sugar, right? Uh, same concept goes with insulin stacking and the pond, right? If I keep throwing more plants in there to fix the fish problem, well now I got a bunch of plants that are overflowing out of the pond. I don't want to deal with that. If you keep throwing insulin at your problems, eventually you're going to take too much and you're going to have to counterbalance that with more sugar. When instead, we could have just started at the right moment. Understand that the insulin on board, kinetic versus dynamic, it takes a second for it to start affecting you. It takes a little bit before it's even measurable in your bloodstream, let alone taking effect to lower your glucose, right? So wait for that dynamic property of insulin to hit. Uh, view how low your blood sugar is going to drop before you give that second correction and start stacking insulin. Now, in some cases where you know you didn't take enough insulin, you underbolused by accident, then it might be useful to take some more insulin, right? But that's going to be something you want to talk to your doctor about, figure out what does the correction factor look like? What's my actual insulin to carb ratio? Uh, and make sure you have your basal rate set because basal is your foundation of everything that you do as a type one diabetic. If that's off, you're going to have a rough time completing a day, let alone staying in range. <laughs> so what I want to let you guys know is if you are looking to master the art of achieving stable and predictable blood sugars, I want you to go to diabetesinaction.com. Okay. At that website, you will have the opportunity to enter your email, get access to a free training I did recently. And that goes a lot deeper than I can go here on this short episode. Uh, in that you're going to learn about basal, bolus, correction, exercise, meals. We go over tons of stuff and it's still just scratching the surface. So that is for my peeps, my warriors who are looking for more in-depth understanding of what's really going on behind the scenes, how to actually control your blood sugars instead of just guessing and, you know, fingers crossed, hoping you get it right. Hey, cool. I got a unicorn. No, you're going to know why you got it right. And in doing so, you'll be able to continue doing it right. That is how you achieve and predict stable blood sugars. So head over to diabetesinaction.com. If you're watching the video, it's down below. If you're listening to the podcast, it's also down below. Check the descriptions. I will see you guys in that training. Have an amazing day. And as always, keep up the fight.